Hi, Winter. Welcome to Winter with Grace. Hi. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Wait, what? Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone.、Uh, by the way, you don't look like Walter White today, so I'm glad that you know.、Uh, yeah, you feel better, assuming. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I instead of like the reading the super giant introduction of Winter, I'm just gonna give like my perspective. So. Winter wrote this like super helpful book about like how to raise a venture capital fund, and、uh, I feel like it's a such a great read. It covers like literally everything you need from you know how do you get like a in, in initial meeting, and then、uh, you know to you know what tools or like、um, how basically it covers the entire process of like raising funding. I think it's such a great general overview for both like、um, emerging managers as well as founders because I feel like it's a From a founder's perspective, I feel like it really gives you a really good perspective on how the venture capital ecosystem works. So I feel like it's a must-read for everybody. And、um, so, Winter, like,、um, I will give you the mic to like introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks, hi everyone. Not sure how many people are listening.、Um, can't see a number, so hopefully it's in the thousands or tens of thousands. <clears throat> It eventually will be, but yeah, <laughs> it's night. Well, it's eight a.m. in the in PT, so like I feel like most wake up in bed, but yeah, wake up people, wake、okay? up everyone, wake up people. <clears throat> so, yep, thanks, thanks, Grace. Great to be here.、Uh, I'm Winter Mead from Coolwater Capital. It's great to be on the show.、Um, yeah, quick background:、uh, approaching, I guess, writing the book, how to raise a venture capital fund from. The limited partner allocator perspective. So,、um, if you are an emerging manager, an emerging VC, and you're looking to raise a fund, and you're always wondering or have wondered in the past, you know what LPs are thinking and how you should run that process.、Um, that book is a is a helpful guide to to understand the different parts of of raising a, a venture capital fund in particular. So great great to be here. Also, so Winter is basically. I feel like you're kind of like a godfather figure of the LP community now, because、um, you kind of like you were the initial part of the open LP movement, and like you are very openly talk about from LP's perspective how like you know emerging manager raise funding. And so today, I want to kind of start with you know you have seen over like last year you've seen five like not last year but like. When you first started, like、uh, becoming an LP or like you know working the LP、um, job, like you seen like over 500 pitch from emerging managers.、Um, by now, I assume you've seen thousands of you met like everybody in the emerging manager ecosystem.、Um, you have seen a lot of things that from people. I, I wonder, like, what's your overview on the fund raising landscape for fund managers? Yeah, the 500 number. Um, I forget where that comes from, but that was like one year. I think it was 2015 or 2016 when I was at Sapphire Ventures, now Sapphire Partners.、Um, right now, we see over a thousand, and probably more after the show, like teams looking to do fund formation per year, every year. So yeah, I've definitely met with thousands. I've looked at thousands of pitch decks, probably thousands of data rooms. And、uh, have heard thousands of pitches.、Um, have I met everyone in the space? <laughs> Probably not.、Uh, 
Uh, I'm really surprised, especially when I left the institutional LP world and kind of came over to the, I guess, more entrepreneurial world, um, just how many funds are trying to get started or getting started in a particular year. I think that's a testament to the last five or 10 years, but I think it's also a testament to just like how many people are excited to start investment firms on a, on a yearly basis. And there, there is no kind of seasonal cadence to starting a firm, right? I think these are premeditated actions that take place over years um, where you have operators who are angel investing, thinking about moving into VC, or you have junior VC staff that are doing deals for years, thinking about, you know, what if I were to hang my own shingle at, at some point in time, or just, you know, people from other backgrounds that are angel investors, or just thinking about, you know, what does it mean to start my, you know, first proof of concept fund? So there's a lot of people that are kind of investing in the early stage world that institutional LPs don't even see, right? I would say in the, in the hundreds um, per, per year. Um, but, you know, have I met everyone? I think the answer is no, because, right, like we'll do the show and there's probably a couple more people that hopefully get inspired and say, I can do that. And, you know, mm -hmm. they, they start the, they start their firm and, and uh, start raising their fund. So yeah, check out, check out how to raise a venture capital fund. If you're doing that, um, obviously reach out to cool water. Um, but the, uh, and we can, you know, try to try to support that, that journey. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So I just wanted to answer the actual question, which was like, what is the fundraising market? So the fundraising market in 2024, it is hard to tell in the first two weeks of the year. So crazily, I've already talked with probably a hundred LPs and probably 150 GPs. Right. But it feels like the, the year is still ramping. It does feel like there's more positive sentiment than 2023, uh, especially kind of moving into Q4 2023 and Q1 2024. Like there's more positive sentiment. There usually is at the beginning of the year. Right. Everyone's kind of mm -hmm. stretching their arms and legs. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of institutions that have new budgets. There's a lot of people that, you know, kind of took the end of the year off and now have renewed interest to, to get back to work. But, um, I think, I think it's still hard to tell, like are, you know, um, folks allocating smaller checks and larger checks. Yes. But at a much, much slower pace, right? Like this is a very different fundraising market environment, at least when you're talking about GPs raising funds, mm -hmm. um, for companies, raising, I'd say it, it's definitely slowed down as well. And, you know, mm -hmm. from my perspective, there's just a lot more time to do diligence. Mm -hmm. This was not, that was not true, you know, two years ago. And I think a lot of people that are, a lot of investors that are long-term oriented in the, in the asset class, in, in venture capital are, are really, really excited for that dynamic because they have time to read up on the market and, get to know the founding team a little bit more and do the reference calls. So it feels like that process has been drawn out and the fundraising process for, for raising a VC fund has been, has been drawn out as well. So I would expect, you know, what is the data going to show if we look back on this time in two to three years, greater duration, elongated fundraising periods for, for funds, um, less capital going into funds, right? Smaller target sizes initially, for emerging managers um, and kind of smaller fund sizes overall relative to the market two or three years ago. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily 
a bad thing. I, I think you can still build really great companies, um, you know, and if they're capital efficient in that process, that that may even be a, a positive thing for the industry overall. Awesome. Um, hi, Andy. There's audience saying hi. But anyway, hey. um, I want to um, I want to ask you a question such as like, you know, I feel like you gave an overview and you have seen so many pitches. And if you're like a young, like, let's say, angel investor trying to break into the emerging market, like emerging major markets or like to raise your own fund, what are three things that you would do after seeing so many different pitches? What are three things that an emerging manager would do? Uh, like to, to like angel investor to try to, to break, become it. To, to break in. Yeah, I would, um, I would think about like what you're really good at. Right. So that that's a self-assessment exercise. Um, and you know, that I think these things are in the book as well, but yeah, that self-assessment exercise I think is really important because the, um, in addition to like answering why now? Like I think uh, LPs are going to want you to answer why you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a super important thing that emerging managers uh, should should think about. Mm-hmm. I think as well, emerging managers should think about developing a investment thesis. So that means like look at your body of work and like how are you thinking about the world? And let's say, for example, you have 30 or 40 angel investments. That's quite a lot. Um, but let's say you've, you've built that pool, right? Like synthetically, you could put a wrap around that and say like, that's your fund one, right? Or your fund zero, as some LPs like to call it. But then what, like, what, were you, like, what were you investing into? Like, how did you invest? How did you make decisions like into that pool of 30 or 40 angel investments? I think if you're able to articulate that, right? That's your investment thesis. It's like, why are you investing? Like, how do you make decisions? I think that's really important and should be like iterated on uh, a mm-hmm. lot as a, as, as an emerging GP. And then I think like the other thing is, you know, once you've kind of gotten over those two of like, Hey, this is what I'm good at. This mm-hmm. is how I think I'm an investor, right? Putting that together into a very simple one pager, two pager, short pitch deck, right? Like you don't have to kind of, you know, build a rocket to go to the moon. Like this is basically a a test exercise, right? It's like, if you want to start a startup and you put up a website to see if there's like market demand, Mm. right? It's, it's kind of the same concept. It's like, Hey, I think I'm different. I have a body of work. That's in this case is like my, you know, 40 deal angel portfolio. I think this is why, you know, I'm kind of a different thinker and and why like my strategy is going to be great. Let me just test that out, right? And so I think some people seem to go overboard there. Um, and this is a process, right? It's an iterative process. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you want to build like too much over too long a period of time without actually like getting getting market feedback because ultimately, you know, this is a sales process and like kind of doesn't matter like what you think. It kind of matters like what the market will bear if you're going to go to market with, with a, a new fun product. Awesome. Hey, Jim. Hi, hi, Jim. Um, so I think one of the one of the things I was thinking, like, you know, when you answer why you, um, a lot of the people who are listening, maybe they're like um early on in their angel journey or like 
basically younger people in general, they don't have like thousands of years of experience or like they didn't have like an IPO company or they have not worked at XYZ. So like, how would you go about the YU part? Because most people just have a really good network or um, maybe some sort of like sense on how, you know, how AI will impact the world. Like, you know, they have uh, access into, I don't know, five AI deals or whatever. So I wonder when you have limited amount of portfolio, like not like, you know, you mentioned you have 30 angel investment, that's, that's a lot. So like most people may not have that many investment. How would you kind of establish yourself or like kind of like having uh, built some sort of expertise in a category? Um, I think you mentioned in another podcast, um, you know, right now people are niching down after niching down. Like it's kind of like a PhD research paper you're building. Like you are kind of forced yourself into some really deep niche. And then you're also wondering, are these niche actually have like a real market there because it's so small nowadays. I wonder how would, if you're like a early on in your career, how would you pick that niche that have the ability to kind of eventually become something bigger as well as like establish a brand for yourself in that niche? Grace, I thought you're going to, I thought we had a deal that you're going to ask me like the easy questions. I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> it's just coming out of my mind. I apologize. <laughs> um, so yeah, so advice for folks that don't have 40 angel investments, get started investing, right? A, it doesn't matter what size, right? Like you can even build like a synthetic portfolio, right? Like think about, you know, if, if you don't have money to invest in the public markets and you just say like, hey, let me pretend I'm going to do like <clears throat> some value analysis on this stock. And then I'm going to put it into my synthetic portfolio and I'm going to do that for a bunch of stocks and I'm going to have a portfolio and then I'm going to watch that over time. Right. And see like, am I a good stock picker? Mm -hmm. Right. I think there is the element of like, what is your investor discretion? Mm -hmm. um, and again, this goes back to like you developing that thesis because you've made investments and ultimately, right. Like if you're a fund manager, you're a manager. Yes. But you're also an investor probably first and foremost. And so I think that's really important, again, talking to over a thousand teams who are thinking about <clears throat> or doing fund formation each year. Uh, there's a number that haven't made an investment ever, right? So maybe they're coming from an operating background. Maybe they like the allure of VC. I think that is a tough sell to someone if you're going to basically say like, hey, I'm now going to manage your money, um, but I haven't made any investments myself. Um, maybe you happen to be like a great portfolio manager, but like, do you really like this job? Right. And this is kind of when you take other people's money, you're signing up for a 10 year commitment, you know, at least in the U S right. It can be less than in kind of other geos, but like, you know, so I'd say get started, like figure out if you even like investing and then also figure out again, like, again, like why and how do you invest? Right. Like that ultimately becomes your, your thesis and your strategy in terms of like the niche of a niche. Um, I think I do remember saying that at one point, like the, the, you know, emerging manager investing can sometimes be like getting a, getting a PhD, um, in terms of like how specialized you have to be. Again, I think the institutional LP perspective is like, they want you to be specialized. Like they know where you fit in their portfolio. Like if you write plan a flag somewhere. So I think that's really important. Um, and then, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, what do you like? What can you sustain? Like, what do you love? What can you do over a long period of time? Um, but it is also like, 
you know, bringing an expertise, I think, and being accretive to the ecosystem overall, right? Like the why you, like, how are you differentiated? Like, how are you not redundant in my portfolio? Are it going to be some of the questions that LPs will ask? And I think that's a lot of like you being reflective, you know, self-aware. I mentioned that self-assessment, like it's you really kind of diving into, yeah, what makes me so special and like, what is my expertise and like, how does that play into building my fund strategy? That's super, super important. So I don't, I, I would, I would just know like what you're really good at and also be self-aware enough to know like where you sit in the spectrum of, you know, the most skilled person on earth versus like, you know, someone that is just graduating from high school and like getting involved in VC, right. And is probably going to be good over time if they stick with it, but might be a little bit less experienced than that, like top person in the world. So I think that's something to, to think about is, yeah, like, what is your expertise? How would you define it? Right. And like, does it play into the fund strategy? Like if you have an expertise and you don't, you're not leveraging that expertise to the benefit of the fund returns, then, uh, or building your firm, then you're probably disadvan uh, like disadvantaging yourself, um, pretty, pretty severely. Mm. Um, and then another thing is like, yeah, if you're early on, right. Like what is, what is VC? What are VC firms? Right. They're effectively like networks, right. Um, kind of like to say, you know, good VCs make good intros, great VCs make great ones. Um, it's the same concept here. Like if you're getting started, right. Like again, what is the job of a, of a VC? You have to source deals. Right. Like you have to figure out if like this is a good deal. Um, you have to, you know, win access to that deal, which may be convincing the founder that like you're going to bring some value to the table. Um, you know, you have to add value potentially to that founder or deal like after you invest. Um, and so like that all comes down to like what is your sourcing network? Right. Maybe you have the expertise to diligence it. Right. Like mm -hmm. maybe that's your edge. Right. And then it's, you know, are, do you have the relationship with the founder? Right. Like, you know, can you tell other people to tell the founder that like, you know, you're, you're great. Um, and this is what your body of work was and how you've worked with other, other founders. Um, that's network driven, right. You making intros, like maybe it's intros to follow on capital or something along those lines. So you made a seed investment and you know, a bunch of series a investors that's network. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think like if you're early, you know, maybe the advice is kind of make sure you're building network and the tactical piece there is making sure it's like network that has some, some focus, right? Cause mm -hmm. you can know 10,000 people, but if the super majority of those folks are kind of irrelevant to your, you know, investment strategy or your firm strategy, then again, like you have a big network, but it's not a relevant network. So some things to think about tactically. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking of fund strategy, um, you also talk about like the fund construction. So basically, you have to after um, you know picking maybe putting a hundred k into certain like a few companies, and then later on, um, you know you should double down on a certain like good performed companies. Oh, by the way, Andy will address your question later. So um, basically, I wonder when you are thinking about portfolio construction and then fund strategy. Um, how would you go about it? And then, you know, what is some best like pitch you have heard over the years? What do they share in common? A uh, couple of questions there. So portfolio construction, 
Um, again, like, what are you good at, right? And kind of what's your personality and what do you think is going to ultimately return value to your LPs, your investors? Um, so I think portfolio construction can change. Like I don't have a one size fits all approach. I know yeah. funds that have been very successful with 10 deals and funds that have been very successful with 150 deals. So I think it kind of depends on what you, you know, what you ultimately decide is doable. Um, one way to think about that is like how many quality deals, again, this requires like a huge amount of self-awareness um, and discretion, but like how many good deals are you getting right over the course of your fund that you can put into the fund, right? That probably determines like the number of companies you can do, right? And then there's the amount of like, how much do you raise and how much capital can you actually put into those deals, right? Because if you can only put 10K in, that's very different than if you raise a bunch of money and you have to put 750K in. Um, and so I, I think like thinking about those things, like where are you in the journey <clears throat> can be helpful in, in thinking through portfolio construction. Uh, fund strategy, uh, I had it beaten into me that it was like very different than portfolio construction. Right. So thinking of fund strategy, like what is the strategy that's ultimately going to get your LP returns? Um, LPs, re a return, like a fund return. So again, thinking about that from a first principles level, like what are you good at? What can you do? Right. Like maybe you're trying to build something different in the ecosystem. Hopefully you're trying to build something that's accretive to the ecosystem. That's ultimately, I think, how you get to kind of determining fund strategy. And then, yeah, the best pitch. Um, yeah, this is a good one. I've, I've thought about this a lot. It's like the, um, I had a coach who turned in a, I want to say a, a, a graduate school thesis dissertation on philosophy that was like very, very short. I want to say like one or two pages. And so on one hand, maybe that was just like a lazy move. On the other hand, maybe it was like very different than turning in like a 120 page kind of dissertation, right? So it's kind of, um, another way to think about it is, you know, the the slogan from a prior VC of um, different is better than better, right? So if you're thinking about, you know, different what is better, better? If you're thinking about like what is the best pitch, then uh, I think something that's clear. Um, I definitely do not do this all the time. <laughs> like I'll just lose the audience, right? Because like you you have this, especially if you're an expert in something and you're very excited about something, like if you go deep, you may go off the rails and like you'll totally lose the audience. So I think really good pitches slow it down and they recognize the audience and kind of where the audience is and they give enough time for pauses and understanding um, and questions, right? It's like sometimes the best conversations for people are not the conversations where they're speaking the whole time, um, right? But it's the conversations where like, you know, they're learning. And so I would go into pitches, not as like, I need to ace this, I practice my 10 minute pitch and I just got to execute it flawlessly and speak the whole time when I'm on this call. I think those maybe are actually some of the worst pitches if you kind of lose the audience and you're talking for 10 to 15 minutes straight before even knowing like what someone even wants or what the alignment is up front.
Mm, how do you get to know the LP more? Because um, I know obviously Coolwater is the YC for emerging managers. People could talk in the program, but um, and like I guess like number one is like when you're pitching to LPs, like how do you even do the research? Some LPs are very out there. They have like been on a couple podcasts. Recently, I see this podcast movement of like podcasters interviewing LPs. But before that, like I guess like how do people even? understand what each LP's strategy and then what do they like or not and yeah. is there a kind of like a directory for LP's so founders or like not founder founder of emerging manager funds could kind of like get access to it yeah maybe there's a directory of LP's there's definitely a lot of lists circulating of uh of LP's um again I think the the lists or the directories obviously are less relevant unless you have context. Um, I think that's the, that's the truth. Um, so even if like you come across, like, you know, I have lists of thousands and thousands of LPs, but it's like, are you just going to cold outreach them? Right. Like maybe that'll work in like a, a vast minority of the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it, right. Like LPs are relationship driven ventures, relationship driven. So I, I think like the directory is less, less meaningful. Yeah. How do you build the, the, um, the understanding of like what the LP is doing? Mm -hmm. Some are more public, right? Like you, you want to pitch a VC as a founder and you go to look at their website and you kind of like see the other deals that they've done, like in some, you know, at least most of their deals make it onto the website, sometimes not all, but it gives you a sense of like what they're investing into. Mm -hmm. Some are pretty public about it, right? Cause there's so much inbound, right? If you're, mm -hmm kind of more well-known and you, and you have a pool of capital, there's a lot of inbound. And so, you know, telling people like, you know, I only do, you know, series A and B one to 5 million in ARR, you know, this less than this valuation in this category type companies, right? Like you put that on your website and people are like, oh yeah, I'm smaller than that, or I'm bigger than that. And it's probably not a fit. Like you can still maybe reach out and say, Hey, like I hit three out of the four of your categories or seven out of the 10, like, are you potentially interested in making these types of exceptions? And maybe they'll say, yeah or no. Mm -hmm. But if it's like, I hit zero out of the 10 criteria and like you're reaching out and pinging. So mm -hmm. I think some LPs are more public about that and you can do a little research publicly. I think most LPs though are not public about it. And this is where maybe you should think about what is the skill set of like a good co-host or journalist, right? Someone that can ask questions in real time and kind of navigate in the course of the meeting, right? You could also just ask the LP beforehand, like if they want to share anything in advance, most of them will probably say no in my experience, or they just like, will kind of say like, yeah, we'll catch up. We've got the 30 minutes or the 45 minutes for this intro call. Right. And so you'll have to be like a quick study on kind of asking the right questions and qualifying to see if there's alignment and that, you know, this makes sense for a, a second conversation. But um, yeah, I think you're right. Like there's, uh, there's definitely um, not a huge trend to be super public about what, what you're investing into or not investing into. And then if you think about it for emerging managers, if there's emerging managers on the call, um, you know, they're talking to high net worths and family offices, which sometimes can be more opportunistic. And so mm -hmm. it's not like they have like this very strict mandate 
and this very focused strategy and everything needs to fit into that box neatly, but they mm -hmm. kind of think about the world of investing more opportunistically. And so it's like, mm -hmm. you know, the, what I call the, um, Hegel's aesthetics version of, uh, you know, VC investing, right. It's like, you know, good art when you see it, right. Type of thing where it's, I think there might be some of that going on as well. Like when you're an emerging manager where, you know, I talk to a lot of LPs and, you know, sometimes I'll ask them like, yeah, what, like, what are you, what are you interested in like this year or this month or this quarter or like in the near term, medium term. And sometimes just like, just looking for the best idea mm -hmm. or just looking for like the best like investment opportunity. So it is, it can be kind of general. And that's why I kind of say like, you know, start at the first principles, like what makes you different? Like, are you creating something that you know is different? And if you are, then, you know, maybe that's interesting for folks that are kind of just out there looking for something that's really interesting versus saying like, I need this exact investment criteria to kind of match up before I like, you know, write a check. I wonder how do you kind of know yourself because you obviously have chat with every, I don't know, emerging manager on earth right now. And yeah. like, you have a good understanding of like, okay, I hear, here are like five categories of people, you know, the operator and then the angel turns emerging manager, the, you know, big fund, like spinoff. And then, so basically you have seen these patterns and the people will probably fall into a certain pattern. And like, <coughs> but, you know, as, you know, people who are emerging managers, they probably seen, I don't know, top like a hundred different other managers top, but like you, they may never really hear their pitch. So they never really know if they're yeah. kind of saying the thing, same thing with everybody, right? Everybody have a great network. Everybody is, you know, uh, you know, maybe just great at deal sourcing com like compared to maybe a regular person who work at uh, like a, another fund or another company. So I wonder how do you kind of quickly realize where you are in the spectrum, like what category you fall into and how do you connect with the LP that's kind of going to bite for that particular thing? Yeah, I think this is what, that's a hard question to answer. I think this is what cool water is for, right? Like I had, 17 straight hours of calls, like not work, but calls mm -hmm. yesterday. Right. So it's like, you kind of need to know like what the market is mm -hmm. right. In order to kind of know where your position is in it. Mm -hmm. You can do some research, but yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I'd say the fundraising market changes easily on a cadence of every six months. Right. I think, you know, plus or minus a little bit, but it feels like there's always like these shifts happening. So you have to stay up to date on like a lot of stuff. And again, I think cool water, Given the fact we, you know, get pitched and talked to, you know, over a thousand teams a year, right? Like kind of understand kind of what sounds more of the same and what sounds kind of unique. And yeah, again, I think it is a exercise in like thorough self-assessment and self-awareness. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of emerging managers you can be really skilled at something if you're really skilled at something that probably also means like you have more tunnel vision, right? Cause you've been so focused on building this expertise and so focused on like executing and becoming good in something and successful in something that you might not have the broader perspective. Um, so yeah, it's probably less of like an internal thing and mm -hmm. more of like, you know, are you building the right network around you, the right set of advisors around you to, to maybe give you some of that feedback and help you really understand, you know, who you are and where you sit. I wonder, like, you know, 
break down to the emerging fund manager's job, there's a couple of things, right? Number one is you have to be good at like investing. You have to select the best investment deal source and, you know, making sure your deal get into good hands for the second round or whatever. And then in the middle, we have, you know, the operational side. Um, I've spoke with um, some amazing investors and they spend, you know, maybe 60% on investing or 50% on investing and then the other 40 to 50% on managing the office. Like especially the solo GPs, like everybody spend a huge chunk of time to, you know, essentially managing managing like a LLC or startup in the fund administrative stuff. And then there's like the third part right now because uh, it's probably marketing yourself to the internet, right? Like there's a lot of, I call it like Twitter capital people, like, you know, people who are super publicly speaking about their investment on Twitter and, uh, you know, building up a following to kind of like um, getting to attract the best inbound leads to, for themselves. So I guess like the brand building slash marketing is another piece. So if you're a fund manager, how would you invest your time? And like, how would you go about um, outsourcing things that you're not good at? Yeah, um, it kind of depends. Again, like what's the strategy you're trying to execute on? So yeah, it's very different than a startup. You know, startup, if you're successful and you raise money, you kind of have that, like all of that money to, to use as the budget. It's very different. Like if you raise a bunch of money as a emerging manager, like that's not your money, that's your LP's mm -hmm. money. And mm -hmm. you're, you're the in investor manager. 50% um, spent on investing. I want to talk to those VCs. That sounds like a lot. Um, I would say it's much less than 50% spent on investing. If you're trying to launch a fund one or fund two. Um, again, like what is Coolwater trying to do? It's trying to help you understand the comprehensive playbook very quickly so you can go to market and really understand, okay, what do I need to manage now? What do I not need to manage? What's a priority? What's not a priority? Yeah, how do I spend time across different functions? What's a function I absolutely need to set up, right? Or LPs aren't going to find me attractive. Mm -hmm. What's a function that I don't need to set up right now and I can kind of like delay? So really understanding like the journey of emerging manager, like how you need to set up your firm mm -hmm. over time, I think is pretty, pretty important. Um, another thing to say is just like, yeah, like, you know, if you're not making good investments, that's kind of the heart of it all, right? Like where, where is the alpha generation? It probably comes down into like the picking and the access you're getting into the best teams, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing else kind of matters outside of that um, until it does, right? So like there's this balance you have to strike, but knowing like the fundamentals, like what is absolutely important versus like, you know, what can I be forgiven on like in the, in the near term, I think is important. So that's a lot of like how I think about the, the cohort program and kind of giving VCs perspective on, on um, yeah, this, this question of like, how do I, how do I spend my time now, when I'm launching the fund, now that the fund's launched, as I'm thinking about scaling the fund, like that, that's really important to kind of mm -hmm. nail down. But it, but it is different, you know, depending on again, like what your strategy is and kind of what you think your advantage can be as an emerging manager. How I know, like you know, by the way, I want to apply for 
the cool water program of course but like you know i know you guys only take selective amount of people for the people who are more earlier stage in their journey how should they create a program for themselves to educate themselves before getting into cool water or like getting help in somewhere and how would you kind of like educate yourself in the space basically yeah i mean cool water has a program right it's effectively like you said if you don't have 40 angel investments like how do you get 40 angel investments so given that our community has grown to be over 200 managers over they've invested into over 5,000 companies actually over 7,000 companies um and they're you know actively investing right like we've kind of built this if you're a accredited investor and looking to be an angel investor and looking to build out your track record and hone your thesis like there's a place to come and you know plug in um we're looking for folks that again, can be accretive to the venture ecosystem, right? Are gonna be um, not only just a check, but helpful to the founders and helpful to the companies in which they're investing into. Um, that's a good way to get deals done, to build relationships with other managers, to get perspective on what does it mean to invest and kind of build a firm early and really you know, determine if the fund manager path is a way you actually wanna move, move forward. I think there's other programs out there as well. Um, that are a mix of like educationally focused and maybe maybe practitioner focused, but I think for for our program, like we've um, I know we have a reputation of being like the training program and like very heavy on education, which we are. Um, but for this earlier program, again, I think you know you can't you can't be without doing, and so the idea of like doing investments is uh, is helpful in the early days. So that's how we've structured that kind of pre-program program. Um, if, is there like, you know, by the way, um, we should totally give a plug of your new book, by the way. Um, do you want to talk about your new book? Yeah. So, um, it seems like it's written out of order mm -hmm. how to set up a venture capital fund. Um, the first one, as you recall, is how to raise a venture capital fund. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I, and I think if I wrote this book five years ago, I probably would have written the second one first, right? Mm -hmm. But now that I've helped, you know, over 200 funds kind of, you know, get into business, they, I think it is in the right order. Like you need to kind of raise the fund first and then you kind of need to spend cycles setting it up. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you can debate, we could debate for hours on like when, when is the right timing and, and what's the right order of operations here. But I think fundamentally like that's true, right? So what's really existential in the beginning is like fundraising, getting your fund off the ground, right? Like the, the mm -hmm. basics of kind of, you know, fund management um, and like the preliminary steps of like setting up the things and getting things ready to actually like, you know, run your firm. And mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, so this book, How to Set Up a Venture Capital Fund is really focused on like those pieces of, right? Like what is the business of running a venture fund? What are the things you need to set up now and in the future? And we have a program we're not just one program, which I think is kind of uh, a lot of the market just thinks of us as one, one program. But like I said, like we have this pre-program program. We even have a post-program program, which is more on like building the back office, which was built with my, one of my business partners. And mm -hmm. it's really focused on like, great. Now that you have your fund off the ground, right? You're going to be judged more acutely by your investors and your future investors. So do you have the perspective to actually build an institutional firm back office? 
And so mm -hmm. again, like the book is written to kind of help you think through setting up the fund. And then this program that cool water runs is very focused on like building out your back office, right? Teaching, mm -hmm. teaching the person how to fish versus like giving them the fishing pole. When you're thinking about the fund return perspective um, as LPs, I feel like LPs have really long, um, not LP, but like GPs have really long feedback loop. And um, also like, you know, an LP may invest in like a lot of GPs. And then how do LPs keep on track of that? Of the fund returns? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they have big databases, right? They'll ask for your pitch deck, your data room. Mm -hmm. They track that uh, a lot of them that you're pitching, right? Have, have seen a lot of emerging managers and they kind of run their own kind of internal benchmarking. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question or? Um, I guess like, I know that, you know, one of the audience Andy was asking, do you, what do you want to see from GPs when it comes to Moik oh. and markdowns? Um, and the highest as possible marks, Andy. I want to see <laughs> very, very high Moik. <laughs> very few markdowns. <laughs> um, I want to see a zero loss ratio, zero percent loss ratio. But oh this is venture, God. so it's like, what do I, what do I want to see, and what is actually the reality? I think Moik, right? Like you're investing, you're probably calling management fees, um, you're you know, probably calling other fees. So you're going to have kind of like you know a J curve, meaning you're under the one X of the fund return multiple, mm -hmm. like in the beginning, and then you kind of want to try to get out of that probably in the first two to three years. Mm -hmm. um, in this market, um, yeah, and this is credit to uh, a conversation I had with Frank Rimmerman, if you if you know them, uh, the, the tax and audit firm in the Bay Area. Um, I was having actually in the last week, but for markdowns, like thinking about, yeah, like we're two years in, right, to kind of the shift, maybe a little less than two years into the shift in kind of the market, right? Like I started to feel it kind of May, 2022. But, you know, the conversation with Frank Rimmerman was about like, you know, I want to give them credit because I like giving credit to people um, where it's due, like where it's their idea. But the idea of like um, connecting kind of like the price you paid for something mm -hmm. and the price it's valued at. Mm. Right. And those are two different things. Those are two different concepts. And fundamentally, like being able to kind of connect those two is important even before you make the investment so stuff to start thinking about right like as you're thinking about kind of markdowns like why are they happening right and ultimately they happen because you know people didn't predict the future in the right way or they you know reacted to a market environment where pricing was like very high right like almost too high relative to you know anything that the companies could reasonably grow into um, and kind of like you know actually meet kind of the the, you know, arm's length third party market price. So yeah, I think, um, you know, what do I want to see with GPs when it comes to Moik? Like, obviously, you know, strong numbers. Um, I want to see fair numbers, right? And when it comes to markdowns, like, I think you're going to see more markdowns in this audit season. Um, there's going to be haircuts, additional haircuts on portfolios. I think a lot of LPs are kind of waiting to see those markdowns. Um, but yeah, I think, you, you know, you're not trying to like, this is, this is serious stuff. So like when it comes to Moik and markdowns, like those are the numbers that define your performance and they kind of are what they are. And I think you need to do as strong a job as possible as the fund manager to make sure like they're as accurate as, as possible. Um, and again, you know, 
building support around kind of each company uh, is is very important. So tracking all the information around those companies is, is super, super important. Does this change by portfolio stage? I don't really understand that that part of the the, the question. Um, I think um, generally like how I talked about it, I think refers to um, both kind of early and late, probably more late in terms of like, how do you actually value these companies now? I think with early, it's a little bit more subjective, right? And it's more mark to market. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I think, you know, you can have the mark to market, but do you really know how this company's doing? Mm-hmm. You know, how much cash does it have on hand? And like, what are its prospects of like getting to the next round? Like that's pretty important fundamental stuff to know as a fund manager. So maybe it changes a little bit by a portfolio stage. You know, it's harder to kind of adjust up or down if it's really early. Um, but yeah, things to things to think about. Does that mm-hmm. answer your question, Andy? I think so. Um, thanks for the great questions. But anyway, so um, I wonder how do LPs do fund construction um, in terms of the venture space? I know that they invest in like venture is just one part of their portfolio for most like institutional LPs. Um, but like when they are looking at different like you know emerging GPs. Um, I wonder how do they like, do they pick a sector and then invest in every sector of the fund manager or do they pick like, you know, just a couple fund manager that they like, how, what's their thinking framework in terms of picking who to invest in? What is it? Is it Reese's? Like, how do you eat a Reese's? Is that the slogan? Like where it's like everyone eats the Reese's like in a different way. I think that might be it. Right. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's Kit Kat bar. Um, anyway, so I think thinking of LPs like um, kids that are eating Reese's or Kit Kat bars is probably like the right way to think about it. I think it's going to be different. Like um, if the question is like, how do LPs pick GPs and how do they do kind of general portfolio construction on their end? Um, like I said, some people take the aesthetics version of it where it's like, I know it when I see it. Right. And so like, are you the, are you the it, um, that they're going to see and like, <laughs> and do, and do opportunistically maybe. Right. And so I feel like there's, uh, there can always be those exceptions <laughs> in the LP world. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think, uh, a lot of them, it's like, they kind of define a different strategy, right? Maybe they're like, yeah. Hey, I'm 80% real estate. Right. And so again, this is work like to my comment on like, are you a good, you know, investigative journalists, like in real time over the course of, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Um, Cause you kind of need to understand like who you're talking to, who's sitting across the table from you, what they actually like and yeah, what their strategy is and, you know, make your life easier. Right. Don't, don't talk too much. Don't, don't do what I have as a problem and talk too much. It's like, you know, figure out if they actually like VC and they may put kind of VC or maybe your search fund or maybe your growth or private equity or some other strategy, just like figuring that out, I think, right. Is kind of how you qualify LPs and LPs on the other end kind of are, yeah. Thinking through their cash flow. Um, they're thinking through where they think, you know, uh, there's opportunity across the market. Yes. They can be multi, market multi-asset class. So are you kind of fitting into something they find attractive? Um, maybe yes, maybe no. If if maybe yes, like, great. That'll probably be a better answer or a better conversation. If maybe no, then that might be a tougher sell, right? But maybe you're the one to convince them, right? Um, 
but sometimes it's, you know, hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So mm -hmm. if they've already kind of set their mind on a certain strategy, it might actually be hard to kind of change, change that, that strategy or that mandate. Um, so yeah, just figuring that out, like, you know, what's their mandate, what's their strategy, what are they interested in? Are you something that they're interested in being kind of frank and candid and, um, direct about that is helpful. And then just knowing that, you know, there's a lot of different permutations on the back end, right? Um, you know, I think uh, for the most part, it probably looks like it, it all looks like, you know, an LP check and an emerging manager fund, but the decisioning processes and a lot of the, uh, the stuff on the back end may be different and how people think about, you know, making returns and, and you know, cr you know, creating creating returns is, is going to be different. LPs will think differently there. Mm, I wonder like, so what if like we're talking about like, you know, right now we're in not the best market right now in terms of like fundraising environment. Um, I think like maybe to lean into that, like not so positive sentiment, like what if things goes wrong in your first three funds? Let's say um, you were successfully raised um, the first fund and the second fund by just straight up hustling and like, and then by the third fund, you supposed to have some sort of like super amazing track record. And then what if you just don't have that in your portfolio? Should you just quit or like maybe you were just investing in the, you have like a wrong investing approach um, or like, you know, what if like after, you know, let's not, not talk about three funds, but let's say in your first fund, you don't really see any super amazing markups. Like how would you go about raising funds later? Yeah. So there's probably only so many Mai Tais you can drink, drink on like the shores of Bermuda before like you actually have to like pay attention and manage the fund after you raise it. Um, <laughs> but in, be in between like closing the fund and spending five years in the beaches of Bermuda and then like flying back to San Francisco to like, you know, realize like how did my portfolio do you probably want to be like actively managing like this is why the management fee exists <clears throat> for you to like actively manage the portfolio um <clears throat> maybe it's like a fool me once fool me twice situation um where yeah you just realize like you know it's kind of your fault like maybe you're not like your strategy that didn't work out doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person or you don't have the skill right venture is kind of a funny game like if we're talking about venture specifically if we're talking about other asset classes it's kind of a different different analysis it might actually mean you're unskilled right or you need to like really change strategy but for venture like you might have the right you know, everything's right the right decision making process the right frameworks and you just kind of get unlucky right and so your performance isn't due to the fact that you know you're bad at your craft it has more to do with like the fact that you just got unlucky so this is like the ongoing debate. It'll never end, but this difference, um, we'll never say never, but um, it's the difference between like skill and luck, right? And are you mm -hmm. self-assessing and knowing like ultimately, you know, what's luck? Like, mm -hmm. did I get lucky, right time, right place or something else? Or, you know, skill, like, yeah, I built a strategy and therefore like it was right time and right place because like I manufactured that right time, right place. And so I think being able to like think through that is, is an important exercise. Um, then there's the, just the reality of like, if you haven't performed for three funds, right? Like, again, like what were you doing on the beaches of Bermuda drinking Mai Tais? Like you should have been actively managing the portfolio 
iterating, talking with your LPs, talking with your founders, like trying to understand like what's going wrong. Like, why aren't my first few investments working? Why is everything going sideways continuously for three funds for five, seven years? Like, so that's, I think, a more pressing question where, yeah, like you should spend time doing that, right? Like maybe you didn't build the right back office. Maybe you didn't come through the cool water strategic CFO program and really understand like what the expectation was for portfolio management from institutional LPs at fund two and fund three. Right. So there's some of this stuff where if you, right, like you can be great at one thing and sometimes like you just extrapolate that and think like you're great at everything. Mm -hmm. But the reality is like, what are you really good at? I think again, like it comes down to that self-assessment, that self-awareness. And then it's that like, you know, it's uh, the ship is leaking. I think I'm going to sit here. We're going to have dinner, you know, on board, like the crew is just going to wait. The ship continues to leak. The water keeps piling. It's like, if it starts leaking and it's just a small leak, like, you know, plug the leak and you're done with it. Right. And then go have dinner. So I think there's some of that thinking, right. That mentality, that personality of you're kind of managing in real time. So hopefully, yeah, you still might get unlucky, but if like you're doing the fund manager job, which is active management of these assets and this portfolio, hopefully you can curb stuff a little bit earlier than, you know, fund three, but yeah, the reality is right. Like, um, well, the reality might be everyone is actually top quartile. This might be Lake Wobegon, but um, everyone is uh, better than average, right? But mm-hmm. I think the like if you're looking at pitch decks, that's definitely true. But I think the reality is like there's only one top quartile, mm-hmm. right? Per vintage, and it's like that's that's the that's the game, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the race you're trying to be in that, and like you're doing that in real time. And if you're not, and you're waiting kind of three funds to kind of like measure your performance, like it's too late. Hmm. I really like that, you know, you can always adjust and adapt. And then also, I feel like one of the advice you gave on another podcast was to just talk to your LPs and then like ask their feedback to keep them kind of like keeping in touch with them and then like leveraging them as a resources to get feedback early on than just in the end have like a really big surprise. Um, so I have like two real question and like, we have only five minutes left. Yeah, I want yeah. to I gotta jump in the okay. hour. Yeah. So, uh, we have another life coming in is, so if anyone who's staying for the second one at nine o'clock, we're here. Okay. So when you're building relationship with LPs long-term, um, you know, I, I heard so many fund managers say, Hey, like, uh, I built a relationship with XYZ LP. Um, and when I was raising fund one, but they never invest in fund one, they come in in like fund two or three. I also heard some people raise fund one with a certain LP and then the LP left after fund two or whatever. So I wonder what is a, um, fund life cycle look like and how do you kind of like, start the LP relationship. And then at, at the beginning, you mentioned about like having maybe a certainness coffee chat with LPs. Um, what do they need to hear to give you a second chance to have like a second meeting? Yeah, so <clears throat> the fun life cycle, I guess, with respect to the LP. Yeah, good, good question. I mean, I think, again, it's, you know, you're creating a fun product that's different. Like, do you know it's actually different, right? That's kind of what mm-hmm. the the cool water build program, like the YC for funds kind of helps you understand that strategic positioning. The LP is like, you know, they're, they're looking for something that's exceptional. So like, do you, do you fit in that bucket? And then, yeah, it's sometimes it can be one meeting and they just kind of know it when they see it. And like, you know, you might already have a brand or, you know, uh, such a good body of work previously that, you know, they can decision quickly if they're the principal. Um, And then, yeah, like, 
again, like, what do they want? Like, it, I think it depends. Like some LPs kind of don't even want to be bothered, right? It's more a portfolio allocation mm -hmm. exercise and they don't want to be like, you know, your best friend and kind of talk mm -hmm. on a daily basis. It's just like, they don't. I, yeah, I know. Right. I do. No, please reach out. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's like, there's kind of that LP, like on one end of the spectrum, which is mm -hmm. more like the portfolio management allocation exercise. They're investing to you because they think like you're, you know, a great fun product and a great manager. And, you know, they want obviously transparent reporting. This is what our strategic mm -hmm. CFO thing does. Like it helps you kind of build that function to like report as if you were reporting to institutional LPs. Um, so there is that like part. And I'd, I'd say build that sooner than later, right? Because like, if you're thinking about the fund life cycle, yeah, you don't want to get to, I think you mentioned fund two and then have an LP pass. You want to kind of have like the, you know, the machine set up a little bit quicker than, you know, fund two, right? Like mm -hmm. as soon as you kind of start making your first investments, you need to really start thinking about your LP reporting, right? And setting that up in the right way. And so, yeah, the fun life cycle with respect to like building the relationship with the LP is like starts pretty early on, right? And, and then it comes down to like, do you actually know what you're building? Are you reporting on the right things? And then it's probably a cadence of, I think this is in the book, but checking in at least once per year, minimum, probably, mm -hmm more than that. But like, again, in, in the early years, like you don't have that much to report on. You're just kind of building out the initial portfolio. Um, I don't think the way to do it is like, <clears throat> uh, you know, wait until the next, until the next fund um, to kind of give them the update. But again, may, maybe again, like you're building out the portfolio, you're kind of sending a lot of updates. Maybe you won't have like an in-person until like, you know, in advance of the next fund, just given like how remote some LPs can be and how hard it is to kind of like meet in person with, with every single person that might make it into your fund, which, you know, if you're just taking QP, it's going to up to 20, can be up to 2,500 folks. It's a lot of folks to uh, meet in person. Um, how do you start the LP relationship? Like you mentioned kind of the coffee chat. I know we've got one minute, but um, yeah, I think, right. Like spend a lot of time making sure you're different um, and that like your strategy is dialed in, you know, your pitch is dialed in, like, you know, make it interesting for LPs, especially LPs that have options across asset classes, you know, thinking through like, you know, what's attractive now in venture, what are they going to want to buy right now? Um, and, you know, being open to that. Um, and yeah, getting that second meeting, you know, different is better and better approach, right? So, and like, you know, I have this problem where you probably, I try to like squeeze like, you know, 14 hours of material mm -hmm. into like 30 minutes just know that like a lot of LPs don't work on that pace. They're like trying to build a relationship over a period of time. Like they want to do the lines, not dots approach. Mm -hmm. And so like, you don't have to fit everything in, but be interesting mm -hmm. enough in that first meeting where there's the potential for a second. So I think with that, I know you got your next uh, meeting coming in and Andy, thanks for the questions and being the most active person in the chat. <laughs> totally. Everybody else is lurking, but Andy is asking. So good for you. Anyway, Winter, thank you so much for coming. I want to end on the note of like Winter is going to, um, you know, change the landscape of the emerging manager industry. And then he is going to save the humanity by investing <laughs> in the right managers. <laughs> no, just small tasks. Okay. I mean, if, anyone's, if anyone's into saving humanity with me, let me know. Okay. Uh, okay. Apply to the quarter program. Myself, I'm applying. Please let your assistant let me like get to the next steps or <laughs> something. But anyway, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Amazing. Thanks, Grace. Okay, <laughs> Thanks, I'll everyone. let you go.
Okay. Do I just press leave studio? Yeah, I'm gonna end the stream. <laughs>